From the west coast of America and the front lines of American healthcare, I'm the Dashing Doctor, here with the Dashing MD podcast, episode 18. Episode 18. Can work be its own reward? Welcome to the podcast. If you've been with us for a while, you'll know the answer to all of this, and you'll have heard this spiel a million times before. But if you're new to the podcast, welcome. And please feel free to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. Just search for DashingMD. We're also available at feeds.feedburner.com. And we blog, which is to say I blog and you contribute to the blog at dashingmd.blogspot.com. And the blog uh, is interesting, folks. Um, The blog has been uh, newly updated. Um, I've added a bunch of stuff there in the past three weeks, these three weeks that I have not been actively podcasting. Um, I have been occasionally contributing little items to the blog that I think are interesting, and there are a few things up there that I think are really fun. Uh, There are a couple links to articles that I think are useful and entertaining, and then there's a a video link to a little medical uh, drama that I found online that I think is really wonderful. I think it captures the spirit of what medical television is all about, uh, for better or for worse. Um, And it's about two and a half minutes long, and it's uh, linked right off the blog. It's called uh, Medical Hospital, and it's uh, it's part of a a great uh, set of little short films that uh, are available at acceptable.tv, which links right off the blog as well. and then there are a whole lot of other links on the blog. Um, I've added links to Dr. Anonymous and to uh, Veritography, two posters who've uh, contributed to this blog and, and let me know their comments and ask questions and who've been part of the Dashing MD community. Um, some other folks have suggested some other links, and I've thrown them up there. Um, and this is really a fun, evolving place, this blog now. So if you're just listening to the podcast... Um, it used to be that the podcast was, you know, what, what this was all about, but uh, more and more uh, we're getting to uh, hopefully a place where uh, the blog and the podcast can kind of work together. So I encourage you to take a gander at the blog. And just in from the blog uh, is uh, some correspondence, actually. And that correspondence is another reason why uh, the blog, I think, is going to be a good place to be uh, in the days to come. We got a letter in from Josh in Australia, who writes, uh, Hey, DashingMD, I'm a med science student in Australia who hopes to start med school in 2009. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now, and I just wanted to say I've really enjoyed it. It's been great to hear real tales from a junior doctor. I feel like I've been learning heaps, too. Keep up the great work. One thing I'm wondering is if you know much about the system in Australia, and if you do, how it compares to the U.S., If not, maybe one of the listeners out there can offer up some advice. I'm wondering how our hierarchy compares to your interns, residents, fellows, attending hierarchy. Keep on doing what you're doing, Dashing MD. Cheers, mate. And that's from Josh. First, Josh, thanks so much for the email. I really appreciate uh, hearing from uh, folks all over the world as part of this podcast. It's by far the most fun thing for me uh, in this podcast is to hear back from you, and, and I've been really amazed at the geographic diversity of people who subscribe to this podcast. And we've heard a lot from uh, people in Australia and uh, people from New Zealand. Uh, specifically, there's uh, Dr. Kiwi out there uh, from New Zealand, and a couple other folks have written in from Australia. And um, it's it's great to sort of feel that 
we can sort of share what medicine is all over. And I'm fascinated by what medicine is like in other countries. And I, I suspect that it's extremely different from what we uh, experience here in the U.S. And I think Josh asks a great question about how these things are different and how the hierarchy works here versus there. And I, I certainly have a very good sense of how the hierarchy works here. I have a better sense of it, I think, than I ideally would like. But uh, I have no idea what it's like in other countries or how it compares. And so if our Australian listeners are out there and want to chime in, if you have a sense of how things work, maybe the blog is the place to do this. Why don't we, uh, if, if we have a chance, I'll, I'll try to look into it a little bit. But if, if, if you guys are out there and have an idea of what uh, the differences are between Australia and here or other countries in here, please, uh, why don't we go to the blog and, um, and use that as a source for having that discussion. Thanks, Josh. Um, and hopefully we'll... Uh, We'll have an answer to your question from the listenership soon. So, it's been a while since I posted last, um, and things here have been busy. Uh, I think that's probably the root of it. Um, it's It's been a, a good few weeks. Uh, I'm doing a lot of surgery, which is really wonderful. Um, it's such a pleasure to be in the operating room and and actually doing what it was that I sort of imagined this would be uh, when I signed up and getting some sense of what things will be like going forward. As I think I've talked about on the podcast before, you know, we spend our first two years here doing very little surgery. Um, I think up until, you know, a month or so ago, I'd done something like five operations all year. And while it's great to learn everything that we learn as part of that process in the first two years of learning how to take care of patients uh, pre- and post-operatively, you know, that's not what we got into surgery for. And I know that um, my classmates and I have felt very frustrated by the fact that we haven't been allowed really to be surgeons. I mean, we've sort of learned everything before and after, but we have, haven't yet mastered that art of the actual surgical experience. And it's an amazing art, and it's so much... I guess what surprises me is just how physical it is, how how hands-on it is, which I guess, you know, sounds kind of obvious when you say it, but I guess I hadn't really appreciated how how much learned dexterity there there is, how many little tricks there are to what we do. I mean, you see people do surgery and you don't realize you know what they what they're doing, the individual movements that they're making look very very simple. Um, and I guess what you don't realize until you really try to do it yourself is how, yes, the moves, the individual moves they're making are simple, but, but how they've come to choose to make that move instead of any number of other moves. And that's where I think the real skill of surgery arises is, I mean, ultimately you're basically just using a little pair of scissors and a little clamp and a electrocautery device. I mean, you almost basically use, you know, slight variations on three different tools to do almost everything in in surgery, but when you're making that decision of where to put that device, how hard to apply it, um, and making all these tiny little choices, you realize the the real genius behind how surgery has evolved. And it's remarkable, really, because I think surgery is is such a young specialty. I mean, if you think about the surgeries that were being done 200 years ago. I mean, they were all sort of slash and dash things. And 150 years ago, you know, we developed anesthetics. 
and allowed us to do more, but we didn't have sterile technique, so we still couldn't do much. And then, you know, as sterile technique became a standard thing in surgery, then, then that allowed us to expand further and expand further. But, I mean, if you look at the surgeries that are done today, almost nothing we do, even the simplest operations that we do today, weren't done 100 years ago. And the most advanced operations that we do today weren't done 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And to watch this specialty evolve um, while always basically using the same tools, um, by which I mean using, you know, needle and thread and a pair of scissors. I mean, this is the main developments in, surger- in surgery have been intellectual developments. And that's very exciting to me. And I'm starting to see now how this job can be its own reward. How the process of being a doctor, I guess I always appreciated that to some extent, but I'm starting to understand how being a doctor can give you a sense of fulfillment and a sense of responsibility, just the mere act of it, that, that you don't need other outside forces to affect. That said, I think that American society, at least, has created an expectation that the harder you work or the better you work or the stronger you are, the more successful you will be. I think that's sort of the quintessential American dream, isn't it? I mean, that's what America is all about, that that if you work hard and you are smart, then you will rise uh, and be successful. And one thing that's really amazed me about medicine is how that attitude is thrown out of residency training, at least, and is, is sort of poo-pooed as a, as a sort of trapping of the non-physician. Um, and I think that, that it terribly harms morale to have our existence be that way. I mean, I guess to, the most obvious example is residency. Uh, you know, we, we match into a residency program where we aren't given free choice about where we go. We're just allowed to list our preferences, and then those preferences are matched up against institutional preferences, and we are instructed on where to report. And then once we arrive in residency, it's the same for everyone. No matter how good you are, no matter how quickly you master your skills, no matter how accomplished you become or how quickly you accomplish that, you still are in for five years and you're still paid the same amount as somebody who accomplishes much less. And the the only real dividing line is sort of passing and failing. I mean, you can certainly do poorly enough that you're not allowed to return. But assuming that you're more than mediocre, you are undifferentiated from everyone else in your class. And it's such a fallacy to think that that's a an effective way to train. Wouldn't it make more sense for us to be able to uh, to work, you know, to show accomplishment in when we had shown mastery of one thing to be allowed to move on to the next thing? Wouldn't that provide us the more incentive to be better doctors um, than just knowing that as long as you sort of do a decent job, you're expected, you'll be expected to uh, to be promoted and move forward. And I think you know, what we're told is that, oh, you know, the patients, you know, because of the patients, you'll always do the best job, or because you're inherently perfectionist, you'll always do the best job. And I think to an extent that's true, but I think that there, we can't deny these basic human 
drives towards towards wanting to get more for ourselves and being willing to do more for ourselves for that. I mean, I, I wouldn't put a patient at risk, I don't think, because I, you know, don't get paid more for doing a better job. But I do think that it would make a real sea change in the way that we think about medicine as trainees in medicine if we knew that if we worked harder, we would be rewarded for it in a direct, tangible way. There's an article that will be linked to off the blog in the New York Times that talks about this a little bit. It's an article that came out uh, on May 17th um, called In Bid for Better Care, Surgery with a Warranty. And it's about a healthcare program uh, in Pennsylvania where patients pay a fixed cost up front and then all care related to the diagnosis that they're coming in for is covered under that price. So if you come in for cardiac surgery, you pay a fixed price. If you have complications or uh, you know, have to be rehospitalized, it's all covered under that initial fee. And the idea is that that will inspire doctors to do a better job, to be less error prone, uh, and to perform uh, better because they're incentivized to uh, minimize the cost of care. Now, this sort of exists in medicine already, and I'm very conflicted about this article. I mean, right now, medicine is paid in the U.S. in what's called DRGs. So, if you, it's called, it's a diagnosis-related group, and if you come into the hospital with a set diagnosis, you, the hospital is paid a certain amount for that diagnosis, sort of irrespective of how long you stay in the hospital for that diagnosis. So, if you come in with appendicitis, that's a set fee, whether you sort of stay one day or five days. And the idea is ideally that, you know, it will average out to be about what the DRG predicts. So if it, if your DRG predicts a two-day hospital stay, enough people will stay one day to offset the people who stay three days. And in the end, you'll sort of break even along those lines. That's how they're designed. Um, and that's sort of where hospitals moving. Obviously, the incentive there is to minimize your, you know, unnecessary treatments. It's to um, ensure that errors are not committed. Um, and I think it's it's a sort of bold-faced admission on the part of these folks in Pennsylvania to say that, you know, cardiac care will improve if we make there be a financial incentive. And some of the stuff they talk about is just crazy. I mean, you know, I think that any self-respecting doctor would make a point of not leaving sponges in a patient um, or not committing errors in the surgery, uh, irrespective of whether or not they thought they were going to get paid more for it. I mean, I think that, that that's sort of implied in the article, and I think that that is sort of insulting, honestly. But, um, but the idea that doctors are human beings who are just as prone to sort of being incentivized towards doing one behavior over another based on some personal benefit to them, not just of the pure selfless joy of knowing that you're taking care of a patient and making their life better is, is a realistic thing. And I, and I applaud the sentiment. I mean, I love taking care of patients and I, and I want to do everything I can for my patients, but I think that expecting us to not think about ourselves when we give so much, not just to the patients. I mean, I would give 
a lot, anything to the patients, but we're not giving just to the patients. We're giving to the institution. We're giving to the attendings. Um, and, you know, while I will happily, you know, stay awake and work countless hours to save a life of a patient, uh, you know, I, I have trouble mustering that same enthusiasm for staying in the hospital and working many hours for to do the discharge summaries for an attending who makes $500,000 a year and comes into the hospital two days a week. So I think incentives have their place. What do you think? Does that make sense to you? I encourage you to read this article. It'll be linked off the blog, as I said, and, um, and think about uh, what the role of medicine is. I mean, are we so separate? Are we a priesthood that doesn't obey the rules of the rest of society? Or are we a business that should accommodate, you know, market forces? Or, you know, how do we find that balance between the two if, as I suspect, there is a balance to be found between the two? Anyway, those are my thoughts on that. Uh, it's now almost June, and uh, I'll be wrapping up on my current service at the end of this week, and then next week starting three weeks on transplant surgery, which I think will be an incredible experience. Um, the stories that I've heard from the people who've come before me have been really fascinating, and, I, and I'm thrilled to be able to think about sharing some of those stories with you guys uh, in the weeks going forward. Um, you know, I mean, transplant is just, it's fraught with so many fascinating um, and poignant ethical dilemmas and amazing surgeries and uh, carrying organs in a cooler from state to state. And um, I think it'll be really fun. So I am looking forward to talking about that with you in the weeks to come. Uh, and then uh, at the end of June, well, at the end of June, I take some time off from residency. I think I've told you all about this a little bit before, but I'm going to be going into two years of research, which is a sort of a common thing to do in uh, surgical residencies if you're planning on doing, as I am, a uh, fellowship at the end of residency. Uh, so I've planned to do two years of research. I'm moving back east, uh, and I will be uh, doing a couple things. I'll be uh, doing a master's degree in health communication, so looking at ways that we talk about medicine and how we can use the media, um, film, video, podcasts, etc., to teach people about medicine. And uh, I'll also be doing a bunch of bench work on, um, you know, which is a sort of laboratory work on some uh, pretty interesting questions in uh, how the lining cells of the intestine respond to stress. So the podcast is going to take a pretty dramatic turn, I think, in June, July, and August. And uh, and I don't know where it's going. It's going to keep going, and it's going to, I think, continue to talk about medicine, continue to talk about big details in medicine. And I, you know, I certainly have plenty of stories built up over the past couple of years that I think I could just keep telling medical tales. Um, but I think if there were ever a time when uh, you guys could sort of help to shape the direction that the podcast goes, this is it, because I'm really starting to rethink or think about how we're going to talk about medicine going forward uh, as part of the Dashing MD podcast. Something to think about. Let me know what you think. Until then, it's been a pleasure, as always, talking to you here on the Dashing MD podcast, blogging at dashingmd.blogspot.com. 
feeding at feeds.feedburner.com backslash dashingmd and available on iTunes at dashingmd. Uh, thank you all so much for listening yet again to another week, and I look forward to hearing from you and talking to you again soon. Be well. <laughs>